Welcome to the Business Benchmark Group podcast, where you'll learn how to think strategically about your business and discover that while business is not easy, it doesn't need to be hard. With over 20 years experience in turning stalling businesses into thriving enterprises, here is your host, Stefan Kazakis, the founder and CEO of Business Benchmark Group. Hi, I'm Stefan Kazakis and welcome to this week's episode of our podcast series. I really, really look forward to sharing the importance and the ultimate business model in the world, regardless of where you are, what you do, what size, anywhere in the world. The most unbelievable business model is the business model that's called repeat and referral business. So a little while ago, I was uh, a guest, uh, a guest, uh, I guess, presenter on a radio program on the ABC where we were, I guess, sharing, sharing, I guess, the importance of uh, referrals and building a business that is so I guess, so focused on delivering exceptional service, exceptional product, and elevating, elevating the standard so that referrals and repeat business was exactly what turned up. So it's a, it's a really cool, uh, I guess, um, um, Q&A focused, a little bit of, uh, I guess, in the moment thinking and answering and, and reflection upon the unbelievable, the unbelievable miracle called referrals. And, and I will say, Referrals that are miracles are tongue-in-cheek. Referrals are a system and every one of us needs to get so much better at knowing that we deserve them or that we earn them. I look forward to hearing back on your feedback regarding how to build an unbelievable business by ensuring that what you do and how you do it ultimately gives you and earns you the right to be receiving the referrals that you deserve. Welcome to Nightlife, the first hour. Years ago, I remember having dinner in a restaurant and noticing a sign which read, you know, if you enjoyed the meal, tell your friends. If you didn't, tell us. Anyone who has ever run a small business can tell stories about the immeasurable value of word of mouth. Referrals by happy customers. Some would even argue it's much more powerful than any form of advertising you can do when someone is happy to sing your praises as a company or a product. Likewise, uh, talk about a bad experience and uh, it travels far and wide, particularly with social media these days. It is possible for a bad incident to travel to uh, quite a few ears. With me tonight to analyse the importance of word of mouth referral, uh, Steve Kazakis tonight uh, from the Business Benchmark Group. Uh, Stephen, good evening. Good evening, Tony. How are you? Not bad. And also Matthew Dickerson with us uh, tonight. Uh, Matthew, um, great to hear from you. Yeah, thanks, Tony. And, and look, this is our last time together. You're yeah. pending retirement. I think about <laughs> 17 days to go. Not that you're counting, I'm sure. But uh, I think seven years I've been doing this with you. So it's been an honour and a privilege. So thanks, thank you mate. for your time. It's been uh, it's been heaps of fun. I, I'll probably be sitting at home uh, on a Tuesday night sort of chatting to myself about business and uh, <laughs> some ideas that I've got. But, uh, guys, thanks for your experience as well. And uh, thank you for sharing it with the audience. It's, uh, it's, it's terrific. Yeah, it's certainly my pleasure. Stefan, uh, how would you rate the value of the referral? Um, I mean, is it more powerful than perhaps you know you uh, you know pay thirty for a thirty seconder? Oh, look, uh, by far it's the uh, it's the greatest uh, trophy I would say in business. Uh, the ability to earn the uh, um, the ideal target market referral, and that is the key: the ideal target market referral. 
the ability to champion that and make uh, the referrer look amazing um, and the new, I guess, um, opportunity to serve a, a brand-new customer even more uh, delighted to be part of a community, whether it's a, a one-off transaction or an ongoing transaction uh, based business it's 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 the trophy hmm. earning referrals got to say uh, that i have a friend who has a small business in uh, tailoring and uh, because the work's been always consistently good uh, the word of mouth is about 70 80% of the business uh, matthew I, I guess that's pretty common yeah not not so much common good businesses i think have exactly that sort of scenario tony but there are some businesses who seem to spend an inordinate budget in comparative terms on what I would call traditional advertising, not realising the power of appealing to your current business users or the people that are your clients. And one thing that I see that that frustrates me no end is when you see businesses advertising for new clients and they they offer better deals for those new clients and their current existing base of clients. And some of those people get a bit annoyed that they'd be better off leaving the business and then coming back to the business as a new client rather than being rewarded for that ongoing business they've been giving them. So I think some businesses don't get it. They don't understand that that base they've got, that's an army for them. That army can be out there advocating that business, but they need to look after them better than the new clients that might come along. It's really funny, uh, a little restaurant that we go to on a regular basis just as a luncheon spot, uh, they have the throw your business card in and um, once every two weeks they uh, draw a dinner for two for the Saturday night and uh, it probably doesn't cost them a great deal of money but uh, they've got a whole you know base of clients there you know they they know who's been there and uh, you know they're keen enough on the food to uh, to want to come back (laughs) and quite obviously those would mysteriously find their way into a marketing database because the best people to market to are those people that have used their business before so it's a very cheap form of advertising to give away one meal for all of those business cards Stephen, I suppose one of the real problems is if you have a bad experience, you know, you're very happy to share with all, all your friends. And if you've got a, a strong coterie of friends in the local area, it can really severely damage uh, the local business. Yeah, which is generally the, uh, I guess, the, uh, the, the issue with a, a bad experience is if someone on the, uh, on the business side of... Uh, I guess that hasn't understood or been made aware. They don't have a chance to, uh, I guess, correct and or, you know, sh- show good cause, and and it does have a ripple effect. So the importance of not only working as hard as you can to create a system around referrals and gaining them, it's as important to be getting the feedback to ensure whatever you're putting your good efforts in. I I firmly believe no one goes out of their way to sabotage or create a bad experience for anyone. It's just um, sometimes these things do happen, but we go go very, uh, I guess, um, silent in understanding what we could have done to improve that. And it's so important to, as I guess, being proactive in customer service and gaining the trust and the advocacy of our current customers to also be as proactive, to be getting feedback for anything that you're trying that uh, is um, attempting to make you better. Get the same feedback whether it is or it isn't making a considerable difference. At the end of the day, you really got to give your customers something to talk about. And and as much as um, that can be referred to as the wow factor, what is more important than anything else, you've got to just trust in your business to get some brutal truth feedback consistently, whether you're doing something exceptional or something that can be corrected. Stephen, I've got to say, we had an experience, well, it's probably about... 
12, 18 months ago, went into a department store late on a Sunday afternoon, probably about 5, 5.30, found a pair of jeans, wanted it, took it up to the counter, no one there, walked around almost the entire floor and couldn't find a single soul. And it was just one of those terrible things you, you, you think, you know, here's an absolute guaranteed sale. In the end, I just sort of threw the jeans on the on the. T- no one came near me in three and a half, four minutes. And so I just threw the jeans on the thing and, and, and left. And, uh, you know, you wonder why they, uh, they, you know, they're struggling for sales. It's just there was nil service. Yeah, and it really sort of lends itself to, um, as businesses grow, and you don't need to be a, a considerable, I guess, um, um, people um, based business, but even if your business is growing and you have two, three, four people on a team, 20, 30, 40 people on a team, you know, a disinterested team will deliver a disinterested service. So the, the key, and we've just conducted a massive, um, a significant research into referrals and why some businesses are extraordinary at them, at receiving them, and some are not. And what we have found that, um, that the general root of the, uh, of the issue is that. A misaligned, a dysfunctional, a, a, an uncaring team, an uncaring business, led by leaders, by the way, and managers and owners, will generally deliver a disinterested service. And that's exactly what you just, uh, what you just shared, Tony. I guess, mm. you know, someone and no one showed you any interest. Now, why is that? What should a business owner's checklist be to try and avoid that happening? Uh, obviously, you can't be there twenty four seven, and uh, you know, particularly uh, you know these days, you know, retail hours are, are quite lengthy. But uh, you you really need to keep a, a, a decent finger on the pulse, otherwise, uh, it really can get away with you. Look, from my perspective, um, it comes down to two things. If, if your doors are open and you're um, and, and you're ready for business, then you're going to be ready to. Uh, be, uh, be be savant. You've got to be ready to serve. You've got to be ready to be extraordinary. You've got to be ensuring that you understand what do your customers actually want to be buying from you? What is it that satisfies their needs? What is it that satisfies their problems? And if you're not ready to deal with that as the professional, as a total team, doesn't matter whether you have the most experienced team on the floor or not, whether you have the most experienced people picking up the phone or not, or answering even email inquiry. If you don't have an experienced, competent team, not an extraordinary team. It has to be an extraordinary service delivered by ordinary people that follow a system. And occasionally someone comes along that creates an extraordinary service. But that all comes down to, again, the culture and the aspect of how we actually delivering our service. How do we become proactive with customer service? How do we know what's working and what is not? And that's all curiosity, Mm. by the way. You never stay still with that. Matthew, uh, complaints and disputes should be settled really quickly. Yeah, there's actually some interesting research on that, Tony, and there's some research that's been done that says that if people have a problem and it's dealt with quickly and efficiently, they're actually more likely to come back to their business than if they had no problem at all. And, and the research showed that 96% of clients who experienced a problem and had it dealt with would refer that business. Only 89% who just had a pleasant experience in a business would refer that business. And obviously the numbers drop dramatically. It drops to 23% if you have a problem and it isn't dealt with in an efficient and quick manner. So it's quite interesting. Not that I'm saying to businesses go out there and have a deliberate problem they can then solve to make people come back and, and refer their business. But if you do have that problem, that's when you test a business. And I often say to businesses, it's easy to open the doors and put a bit of stock on the shelves. It's when the first problem comes along, the first issue, the first thing where something doesn't go the way it should 
that's when you have the real test of is this a good business to deal with or is this just someone else opening the doors and throwing some stock on the shelves and crossing their fingers and hoping for the best. So if you do deal with those problems, whatever those problems might be, then that can really help that referral part of the business and, and really just help your business name grow. Mm. I know uh, one particular firm that was uh, acting as an agent for a dry cleaner and uh, there was a, a considerable turnover of staff within a, about a two, three month period and it went from a good dry cleaner to a very average one in in very short space of time. And, uh, you know, people were bringing stuff back and da-da-da. It was really quite dramatic. Uh, and unfortunately, it wasn't dealt with properly. And they, they almost went out of business as a result of that, you know, because you know, people aren't going to have, you know, put up with constant complaints. Yeah. And I think Stefan hit the nail on the head there when he talked about that team and the people in the team. Not everyone in the team has to be extraordinary, but I think it needs to be the passion has to be instilled from the top. And so in that example you gave with the dry cleaning business, maybe the business owner or the, the manager of that business wasn't really that passionate about it. He didn't really care that much. He was, as Stefan said, maybe a bit disinterested. And that just flows through that team. So even if you have new staff come in, if you've got someone from the top that really has a passion for delivering service, that will just really grow throughout that entire team. So it doesn't matter who comes in, they'll be a part of that whole passion. And he's just SMSed. He said, uh, I have a great mechanic who's uh, pretty much booked out for weeks in advance. He mentioned at uh, the last service that in 40 years he hadn't spent one cent on advertising. <laughs> uh, but uh, probably uh, plenty of just a few cents here and there just keeping the customer satisfied. And uh, I guess uh, pricing correctly as well is, uh, is part of that. Yeah, it's, it's so rare for people to focus on price as the first thing, Tony. Sometimes I find that people justify changing what they do or where they shop by price. But the reality is they're making their decisions emotionally. They're making their decisions on wanting to be looked after and good service. And that mechanic, as an example, he's probably spent no money on traditional advertising, but I bet he spent money on advertising. And that advertising can be the uniform that he might wear or the way he puts his sign writing up in the shop or the way he sends out some little reminders to people about a service on their car. All of those are advertising, but not sticking ads in the paper. And it's a thing that I often talk about marketing is not a thing you do marketing is everything you do so all those little things add up to a great marketed business even if you don't see an ad in the paper Mm. and Matthew part of the problem is uh, I guess a lot of people for example if you're a mechanic you specialize in fixing cars rather than necessarily being the PR of the business but you know the PR is almost as important a part of the uh, part of the business yeah, and it is. It's the old classic um, problem that you have that people are really good at one thing, i.e., being a mechanic or being a pastry or a maker or whatever it might be. But then suddenly, when they're a business owner, there's a whole range of other skills, and they don't necessarily get to spend a lot of time being what they're specialist at, but they have to spend time being a marketer and being an accounts person and a whole range of other things. So it is difficult, but the marketing is really about how you do the job, how you do the business, how you run the business, Mm. that is marketing in itself. Stefan, I've got to say, I had an experience at a, a, a four or five star restaurant. Uh, it was a, a function, uh, it was a, a leading hotel chain that were running the function, and uh, a uh, waitress uh, accidentally spilt. Uh, a tray of drinks towards the table and was so shocked when she did it that she actually almost threw the glasses in the air. (laughs) So a uh, 
fairly high-ranking executive um, from this uh, hotel chain got a cake right down in the middle of his back as a result of a a (laughs) flow-on impact. Uh, The the reason I've mentioned the story is that the maitre d' was superb went into, um, you know, action mode immediately. He'd, you know, been standing there quietly and, you know, things had been progressing as you'd expect. And uh, he had somebody in there cleaning the glass away. He had somebody mopping the uh, the, the stain off the back of the gentleman's jacket. Uh, it was almost off and, uh, and fixed before he knew it, would, it had happened. And within two or three minutes, he'd righted what could have been a catastrophic situation. It just reminded me of one of my early clients who uh, he used to import amazing marble and uh, it, you'd find it in most uh, leading, I guess, shopping centres and, uh, and, 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 and places like that. And what he used to do, which was quite interesting, he'd go out of his way to make a mistake and then be called to a, um, account and then just champion the way he fixed the problem. <laughs> and that would just lead his <laughs> – that would lead to someone just saying, you won't believe how these guys fixed the problem. And yeah. they ended up being a very reliable supplier from that. But I sort of um, helped him understand that wasn't exactly what he needed to do <laughs> consistently. But, but, the fact, but the facts are, you know, our customers go out of their way. They really go into a lot of trouble to finding out which business can satisfy them. And um, they have a problem. They have a need. They have a crossroad that needs to be sorted. And um, the moment they meet you or, or, or a business that's a little more advanced, above average, has a care factor that's um, very contagious, um, you know, they realise that someone's actually done something about their problem. And they did it without, you know, in, in some cases being invincible, as in they got in and did exactly what you just described, corrected an, an, a, a mistake. They they supplied a, uh, a, uh, a fix to a real problem, a real need. And I guess what we do, and, and, and this, this study that we've done with hundreds of businesses that we've been working with over the last uh, couple of years has um, confirmed a couple of things. So earning word of mouth, earning referrals is, is not something that you should be wishing or hoping for. And um, for many businesses right now that, again, you know, cash flow is a little tight or it's a little excessive, it makes no difference. As long as you're championing a culture of passion and delivery and care factor and you have a bias to solutions for what you do, all that's left is, you know, you want to be attracting more of the A-grade clients, the clients that you deserve to be serving, the clients that you wish to be sharing your experience in terms of how you, you, you fix their problem or supply their product or service. So all that's left, and this is what we have found out in this study, more than 70% of businesses that should be getting more referrals than they currently are simply do not ask for referrals. Simply do not ask for feedback. Simply do not get the license to use, um, you know, their, their experience in dealing with that business as a case study to to add value to their social proof. It is a mere fact right now, Tony and Matthew, that you know, eighty three percent of buying decisions are made on what are others saying about your business. Now. As Australians, we don't go out of our way to brag, as we know, about a lot of things. And sometimes we don't brag about other people's businesses. So as a business owner or a business leader or a team of people leading a business, it is so important to be really proactive in asking for referrals, asking for people to introduce us to people just like them so that we can keep on growing our community of clientele but we want it to grow with people just like them. Do they happen to know anybody? So Tony, That is what we have found being the missing link 
in the referral strategy. Mm-hmm. So, Tony, I just want to take over from you for a second. I want to ask Stefan a question, if that's all right. Um, Stefan, what's your opinion on saying to your clients that you'll pay for them to get a referral to come through? So if you come and bring some business my way, I'm happy to give you a spotter's fee or whatever you might call it. What's your opinion on going that far for chasing those sort of referrals? Oh, my opinion's very strong on that, Matthew. I, I don't agree with it. I, I really don't agree. But what I do agree is on the element of surprise. I think um, there, there's plenty of ways of um, really acknowledging and rewarding and and ultimately, um, you know, it's, I, I personally have a genuine issue around being paid to introduce people to what is going to be an exceptional fix for whatever their crossroad is. Product or service. I have a challenge with it is my stance. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. I do favour, though, outside-the-box thinking. The, the element of surprise for those that are advocates, true advocates of your uh, business, no different to great friends, you know. Your great friends don't expect you to do things for them, but occasionally when you turn up with a you know, a bunch of flowers or a box of chocolates or a, a sincere pat on the back, that goes so much further. Matthew, uh, Ellen from Adelaide has uh, SMS saying uh, recently stated a very cool hotel in Paris which had the worst service ever. Uh, three calls, two hours to get some coat hangers and pillows, huge issues with the service in the restaurant. Uh, we got, uh, in the end, six free drinks thanks to the daily dreadful service, but uh, we'll never go back and uh, wrote a very blunt review on TripAdvisor, five-star hotel, two-star service, uh, told management as well, and uh, Ellen's been back in Adelaide for three weeks, nothing. <laughs> no response at all from the hotel. Yeah, and sometimes you see businesses who, for whatever reason, maybe by accident, are actually going along quite successfully, and that motel might be very busy and booked out weeks in advance, so they don't think they have to worry about those sort of little issues about complaints from clients or worrying about giving them good service, but those good times will dry up, so you, you can't take those times for granted. You've really got to treat every issue, every complaint, and, and occasionally you get things wrong, and, and you know we've heard that story from you about a, someone you know, spilling drinks and spilling cakes down people. Perfection is hard to achieve, but it's how you deal with those problems, and the other part is when someone does speak ill of your business, you want to behave in such a way that no one really believes them. They might think it's a, a one-off situation or they might think maybe that person didn't really deal with them in the right way. You really you really want to get to the point where people are saying, I know their service is good all the time, but they're not perfect. No one's really perfect. But in that case with the hotel, I think probably arrogance starts to creep into some businesses and it can be the death of those businesses. Stephen, what about if you're coming up against a chain? You know, you're a, a small pizza shop, for example. I notice there's a big domino story in the, in the major papers tomorrow about the fact that uh, they're now guaranteeing that they'll have the pizza to you in 10 minutes and uh, they're offering uh, some new digital initiatives. Um, they've got, uh, what's this, the world's first robotic pizza delivery vehicle is apparently due later in the year. Uh, I'm not just particularly mentioning, um, you know, dominoes for that reason, but what I am saying is that, you know, if you're a local pizza store and, you know, you're up against that sort of heady competition where, you know, there's uh, GPS and there's uh, da, 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 how do you beat it? Well, um, there'll be an element of a target market that's generally very attracted to that uh, that type of, 
um, I guess, pizza and um, that type of service and that type of convenience. And then there'll be plenty that are not that way motivated. And uh, hence, there's the opportunity. It depends on where and what is your focus for the customer you wish to serve. And regardless, regardless about big brands, big big marketing and or big organisations, you still have a place if you truly believe in delivering something to a very clearly identified target market for which you need to know how many of them are there, whether it's in your postcode, your region, your state, your country, your part of the world, makes no difference. Because once you know that number as to how many are there in terms of the ones that you wish to serve, you'll realise you only need 1% or 2% of them and you are in business next year and in five years' time. Mm. Uh, Brian from Goulburn says uh, the cost reciprocal is that all clients have to pay for advertising and we would all like to have to not pay that extra price component in the bill. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> well, it's, it is true. I mean, if you don't have to spend money on advertising, it means you can uh, price yourself a bit more keenly, Matthew. Yeah, that's right. I, I, like, I like the logic there that obviously it's a cost of doing business is advertising. Again, that sort of traditional advertising. So if you deal with a business that relies more on referrals, then you are probably getting a slight cost advantage there. But again, I come back to that point I made earlier. I don't see a lot of people jumping up and down and saying that I paid too much for something because they can make the decision before they make the purchase if they want to pay that high price. But what people complain about more than anything else is that level of service. And I, I've said to businesses all over that I've talked to, I can live with criticism of being too expensive. What really irks me when I'm working with a business is criticism of poor service because the cost factor, people make the decision whether to pay that or not, but they don't necessarily know how good the service is going to be until they've had the experience. And then if it's poor service, that's what really hurts a business. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree, Matthew. That's um, that's that's very true. And, and and again, you know, your value, your value proposition as a business, regardless of industry, regardless of region, you know, more and more we see it. Um, you know, the, it, it's really based on quality and not price. Yeah. And if you want to build a business that's going to stand the test of time, you're going to have to build it on your value proposition around quality and how you deliver mm. it consistently. Yeah. That's where your reputation grows. Consistently. And this is an issue that uh, has been raised by Neil. He said uh, a new fish and chip shop opened in the town. Uh, very inexpensive, good food, big serves of chips. Everyone raved about it on Facebook to the point that uh, it had a line out the door most days. Then one day I noticed some new cooks and the order came out. The server chips was uh, a quarter the size that you're expecting. Asked uh, why and was told new owners. <laughs> told them I wasn't happy, wouldn't be back, and the, the shop is now gone uh, after a month. Yeah, I, I would almost, and I'm going to insult every accountant in the world now, Tony, I'd almost guarantee those new owners were either listening to their accountants or accountants because some genius there said, what about if we reduced our cost price and gave smaller serves of chips and that'll save us 10% on our costs and forget about what really people are after and that's the delivery at the other end. So they would have been better off putting their price up by 10% rather than trying to save 10% on their costs. A lot of people, particularly in small business, are very nervous about raising prices, Matthew. You know, they're, they're worried about losing the customer base. Yeah, if you lose your customers based on price, then you haven't been delivering, as Stefan says, the value proposition. So I think people get too wound up about that price. And, and you can deliver fantastic service and go out of business because you're charging a very cheap price or keep delivering that fantastic service and charge a fair and equitable price. And I think... People get really focused on price because that's what they hear from customers who go somewhere else. I went somewhere else because they're a bit cheaper. And they really are saying, 
I didn't think you were very good or your service wasn't very good, but it's a bit insulting to say that, where it's a nice, easy sort of way to transition to say to someone, the price was a bit cheaper and people say, oh, okay, fair enough then. So I think people focus on price when really it's not the issue. Yeah. It's one of those uh, difficult things too, you know, uh, if um, new technology is being employed by the chains, it's sometimes uh, hard to compete when you've uh, not got a lot of money to reinvest in the business. So you have to do it in other ways, I guess. Yeah. And look, you gave the example of Domino's before, and I actually had Don Mage, the, the CEO of, of Domino's, come out and give a talk out here uh, only a few months ago. And he, he said that they really focus on improving technology, and, and that was a real focus for the overall business. But you don't have to be the size of Domino's or, or a major chain to be at that leading edge of technology and really delivering smart solutions around technology. If you sit back and say, oh, they're too big and they can do it better than we can, then you might as well give up and go home now. You can keep doing that, not competing maybe head-on, but you can keep trying to improve what you do. And if you're small, sometimes you're more nimble. Sometimes you can actually do things in a quicker, cleverer way than some of the large chains because of that small size. Yes, and just the fact that it's not uh, arriving by air is not necessarily going to damage your business long-term, you think. Exactly. Stefan, you know, new technology is obviously uh, stepping up. Uh, Is that going to be a a problem for small business sometimes to compete? I I don't believe it will be a a problem. I I think it needs to be embraced. I think it needs to be understood. I think we need to accept that it's the way of the the future. I mean, the the fusion of high-tech and high-touch is is critical. But, again, the high-touch component of what I just shared there is the the people element. I mean, no matter what happens in business, and mm. for at least the next 50 to 100 years, as far as we know, even with the um, the element of robots and, and, and automation coming in, people will still like and still need to do business with people. And they will always prefer to do business with people they like. So by not so much just increasing prices, but increasing value, yeah. there is so much hidden value in every business in every corner of the world. We just need to look harder at what are we doing and how can we do it better, not by increasing costs to achieve it, but by decreasing costs, by using our assets, the assets that we have, better. So technology such as CRMs, you know that card story you were sharing about that restaurant? Yep. Someone's dropping in cards every time they go. I'm sure that they are not looking at a stack of cards and thinking, oh, my God, who do, I, who do we ring first, right? They're actually putting that into a CRM, a client relationship management tool, a customer relationship management tool. That's digital. That's mm. technology. Yep. And at a press of a button, they're communicating with 5,100 patrons who said they liked fish on the menu or meat on the menu. That's who they're inviting for that special meat night. We have a birthday about mid-year, and uh, we tend to have an upmarket experience uh, for that. And uh, the restaurant, uh, and uh, we normally only because they're a little uh, pricier. We, we normally only go there, you know, once, twice a year, maybe. Uh, but I notice every time there's a seasonal change, uh, the uh, the menus in my inbox when I get home. So uh, you know, they're obviously trying to uh, tempt me back a little bit more. You know. And it's a fine line too, Tony. If you started getting that email every day, you'd say, give me a break. I'm I'm sick of this. If you get it once every three years, you'd probably forget who that business is. And and I find the key sort of timeframes around that sort of touch is around one month to to three months. People can handle a monthly sort of touch or a a newsletter. Um, Three months is about the longest I'd go. After 90 days, people start to forget who you are. So it might be change of seasons, as you've talked about there. It might be a quarterly update. But, but I wouldn't go more often than every month. 
Yeah, just had an SMS saying, I can't remember who said it, but uh, in good times, advertising is important. In bad times, it's vital. Stephanie <laughs> <laughs> Kazakis, tonight, Matthew Dickerson, we're talking about uh, small business and how to uh, keep it uh, growing and, uh, and, and prospering. Uh, Barry, uh, you, you want to talk about the pizza shop in Narimba? Uh, yeah, all right, Narimba in Queensland. Um, it's called Narimba Village Pizza. Um, his pizzas are expensive. They cost about two of what Domino's would. But the pizzas are absolutely beautiful, and he closed down the local Domino's. Oh, is that right? It, it's it's uh, good personality, a good start, a good counter staff, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, every, everything everything about his old school comes from Melbourne. Actually, comes from our footy team, Carl, where I was born. Um, and he makes pizzas the same way they make them in Melbourne, the same way they've been making them for thirty years. And you can't eat two, more than two or three pieces. <laughs> And you are full. They are beautiful. Yeah. Stefan, the uh, quality of product, obviously, a big part of the uh, the, the mix. And that, uh, that totally endorses what I was saying before. You know, there is a market for every type of pizza out there. And, you know, there's enough market for Domino's as there is for uh, that Carlton uh, supporter's uh, uh, favourite pizza maker. Absolutely. Uh, Barry, thanks so much for passing that on. Good to hear from you, mate. Mark, uh, you had a really bad experience. Oh, yes, I did. Um, I went to a particular um, store, um, a, a nationwide store. On the Monday, I wanted to buy the fridge, but I, but they never asked me, said I was going to buy the fridge uh, two days later when I had more money because I knew I had some money in the bank. And they never even asked me to put, if I wanted to put down a deposit or whether they wanted to hold the fridge for me. So by the time Wednesday came around in the afternoon when I finished my part-time job, to go buy the fridge at the particular store, they said, oh, sorry, we sold the fridge on me to someone else before I even had the chance to pay for it. And, uh, you know, when you have one of those experiences, you're not going to be rushing back there. No, no. So I uh, bent my spleen on Facebook, and, you know, I went somewhere else. I got the fridge I wanted, maybe a little bit more, which included free delivery and take, take away the old fridge. I bought it on the Thursday. I got it delivered to me at my place Friday morning. And you probably told a lot of friends about that experience, and uh, you know uh, it comes back to haunt you definitely if uh, if you if you don't do the right thing by the customer. Exactly, and it's amazing, Tony. Sometimes salespeople are scared to ask for the sale, and it's actually poor service not to ask for the sale because in Mark's example there, all the salesman had to do was say, "Do you want that fridge, Mark?" Or you know, just really find out exactly what Mark wanted. And he could have actually given him what he wanted, but he was probably too scared to ask for the sale and, and consequently gave bad service. Absolutely, mate. Thank you very much for that. Uh, good to hear from you. Uh, Lorna, you want a quick word about this too? Uh, you actually you walked away from a pizza shop uh, that you were, used to be a regular haunt. Yeah, well, we used to go to the local pizza shop regularly. And one afternoon we went down there and outside was, you know, one of the boards with some free small Coke with your pizza. And we went in to order it and they said, oh, we accidentally left that out at lunchtime. <laughs> and, and they refused to give us the small Coke. You know, they could have easily given it to us and said, oh, well, sorry, we did leave that out at lunchtime, but as soon as you've come in. And so we never went back there again. We went to the big guys. So they that, lost the- mm, how, how much does that Coke cost? You know, 30 cents, and that just cost them the next number of years of your pizza buying. It just seems crazy, doesn't it? 
Well, what I mean, it's years ago yeah. now, and we've never been back to that shop again. Yeah. But I also had another experience with electronics. I went into one of the big, you know, stores, and I said I wanted to, you know, make inquiries, but I wasn't buying that day, and they didn't bother serving me. I went into another one, and I told them the same thing. They spent an, half an hour explaining everything to me. So, of course, I went back there, and I bought and everything. I bought electric from then on was bought at that store and I actually rang up the first stores um, to complain about it and they said oh you know they're only a franchise you know we can't sort of do anything about it and I thought well you know that's their attitude but what I did the second store I actually rang up and you know gave them the good report and anybody that asked me where you bought electronics in the area I'd just send them to the second store yeah. 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 Despite whether you're a franchisee or not, uh, you know it's <laughs> you've actually got to do the uh, the hard yard, Stefan. Oh, look, <laughs> it's just the, it's the typical traps that uh, most business owners, leaders, management teams, they just fall into. They just um, succumb to. Oh, but we're just this, or we're just that, or times are tough, and we don't. And yet, there are people that are really willing to share their wallet with you. And all you need to do is just show some care factor. It's just amazing. <laughs> it's uh, so true. Lorna, thanks for that. Uh, Kathleen, you uh, work in sales and uh, a different strategy is being set up and uh, uh, you're just wondering whether it's going to work. <laughs> well, yeah, sort of. I'm just sort of intrigued, you know, like I'm sort of um, being in sort of sales and and um, run my own businesses and things. And I've always felt that, you know, customer service, hands-on, speak to people, do the right thing, um, assist all those things, you know, uh, contact people, you know, say hello, this is who we are, you know, um, that are now sending out, e- it's a strategy of sending out emails, like constant emails, and I just sort of think, if, if it's an annoyance to a company to receive something like that, when you do finally contact them, doesn't me- you know, how long does the memory stay with, with the fact that you've been sending emails? That without that personal, with that introduction, I'll send you an email, you find them, you've contacted them, I'm going to send through an email, yeah. just out of the blue, you know, it sort of doesn't seem to sit well with me, you know. Yeah, and you've no, certainly, yeah, you've got to be comfortable with what you're doing, your company's doing in terms of that marketing, and again, it comes back to that point I made before, how often they're being sent out, the regularity of that, and the reason for it, and how personal they make it. It's very easy. Stefan mentioned before, a CRM program. If you use some sort of system like that where you personalize those emails and make it very much about that individual, customize to them, uh, people appreciate that. But if you start bombarding them, it's going to be pretty tough for you when you actually make that phone call. Yeah. Also, I find, uh, Kathleen, uh, call centres, uh, sometimes they can overdo the sell. Uh, I have, uh, you know, had been getting a, a regular delivery from uh, from a particular firm every month for uh, or every couple of months for a couple of years. I didn't like the wine and I, I sort of cut it off, but they've been absolutely bombarding me ever since. <laughs> you know, I, I uh, wish they'd lose my number. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what my fear is. I sort of go, I sort of, you know, I... I sort of felt that, you know, what I was doing was, well, you know, like uh, having that personal um, contact 
and knowing that, you know, possibly they are interested, you know, you can spend hours sitting on a computer sending out emails and you may get one out of 20 okay, but whether that's a purchase and whether that leads to... I always worry about what's behind it, though, I guess. Like, if there is an annoyance factor... And, or it doesn't mean anything and it's something that you put away. But if you walked up to their door, you know, as another business and walked into, you know, introduce yourself as a personality, um, understanding their business to a degree, you, you have a more lasting effect. Yeah, look, it, uh, it does come down to regardless whether it's um, a combination of, um, I guess, using emails, using phones, using SMS, using the door knock, you need to give them something of value. You've got yeah. to give them something that gets their attention. You ultimately wish for them to be engaged. That's what you need. And um, if that's missing in, in yours or anybody's process, it really has um, a devastating effect. One, on our confidence trying to do our job and uh, and what that creates in our head called head trash, right? But mm. if you give them something to talk about, if you every time you contact them, even if it is by email, if it's something of value, then they'll remember you. You've got them engaged. Yeah. Yeah, and at exactly. some point, they'll raise their hand and say, I want to do business with you. That's exactly right. So it's how many times you actually contact them is how you contact them. Mm. And, yeah. and if you've actually excited them about um, the product that, or the product or who mm. you are. And, and uh, you've got to feel that there is some personalisation. So in other words, if you've uh, never bought red wine from this company ever and they just constantly bombard you with the red wine offer, uh, you know, you obviously know they're not listening to you. They're just they're bombarding the, 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 the marketplace. No, that's exactly right. You see, I'm not, doing, I'm not exactly doing that work, but I'm watching it happen. And I think, oh, it's moved away from the way I do things in that sense, you know. And I think, well... Small business, you have to be careful, you know. You, you have to move in and and do it um, gently and and considerately, you know. And so that you have something to offer and and that you're listening. And, and I think what's important in what you just said there, and it's um, yes, you need to be careful, you need to be proactive, but you need to be processed. You need timelines. You need at every step. You need to know what is my my key outcome here as a business, and how am I going to know through testing and measuring that I'm working it and working a system that ultimately works for me and I can train other people yeah. on? Kathleen, thanks so much for the call. Uh, David, uh, you manage a small restaurant and uh, you got a great saying that you use about service in the food business. <laughs> yeah, well, I was um, fortunate to train in Sydney and then I moved back to uh, Queensland and uh, I was working with some uh, very influential uh, European staff and great staff. And one French guy taught me a, an ethos I lived my life by, and I've been very successful in hospitality because of that. And in French, it sounds beautiful, but it basically translates to good service could save bad food, but good food can't save bad service. <laughs> and um, it's absolutely true. You know, it's, uh, you can turn any situation around to a positive situation depending on how you handle it. Uh, but unfortunately, these days, um, I, mean, I bet you can't even count on one hand in the last week where you've had exceptional service. And I'm not talking about a restaurant or a cafe. It could be just buying a ticket or a bus ticket or or anything. It's just uh, it's a shame that people don't go that extra yard. Yep.
Matthew? Yeah, and it's interesting whether people don't go the extra yard because all standards have been lifted or there has been that whole shift towards how can we do things in a more economical way. Service stations, I mean, I don't know why they're called service stations anymore because you don't get service. So someone, again, some genius came up with the idea that it would be cheaper not to have people come out and pump petrol. Imagine a service station that charged a little bit more that actually came out and pumped petrol for you again. I think it would be a real winner because it just goes above and beyond what people are expecting in the delivery of service. So you know, I, I, like the, I like the saying, I'm going to steal it now, that saying, it's, it's quite good, but good service. And good service isn't that hard. It's just about doing what you said you were going to do. And great service is doing a little bit more than you said you were going to do. It's not that hard, but it's amazing how hard it is mm. to get a business to do it. Absolutely. David, thanks for sharing that. Uh, Janet, uh, you've got a great Japanese motto that uh, her company stapled to the, the, the payslip. <laughs> Yes, I used to work for a very large, highly successful multinational Japanese company and their motto that was quite often on our payslips was one hour of excellent after-sale service is better than two hours of explaining a product before it is purchased. Oh, isn't that fantastic? I, I, I have to say that if you go into department stores these days, they very rarely know the product brands. Uh, you know, the, you, you get uh, people who are working there but who actually don't know a lot about the ins and outs of the product. Well, their attitude was, uh, this particular Japanese company, is that there are a lot of companies making very similar products, but the differentiation is the after-sale service. Stefan? Oh, look, um, I'm a huge fan of Kazan and, and, you know, constant improvement, and that all comes back to Japanese, uh, um, I guess, um, um, economy and, and, and growth. But, but, it, but in saying that, um, after service, I mean, you know, long, long after the, uh, the sale and the money's been exchanged is where the memory stays forever. And uh, I think if you can be holistic, you know, the before and after being as strong, you know, you've got clients for life, and that's, that's the trophy. And if you give them the results and you keep them for life, they're going to bring their best friends. They will trust you to look after them, and that's the key. Yeah. I've got to say, uh, one of the appliance makers uh, goes a long way to include you as uh, part of the after-sales uh you know, conversation, and it's uh, it works very well. You know, you uh, you're updated, and you're not overwhelmed by the by the information that they give you. Uh, guys, thank you so much for uh, the last seven years. Really appreciated your input, and uh, happy trials. Yeah, thanks, Tony. <laughs> After 26 years on air, I'm sure Australia will miss you. Yeah, well, I hope they miss me a little bit. Anyway, we'll certainly miss you guys. Thanks, uh, thanks Good for being there. Stephen Kazakis and Matthew Dickerson, there, uh, our small business expert here on The Nightlife. Hi, I'm Stefan and welcome back. And I guess uh, the, the, the takeaway, the takeaway that continues to be the greatest takeaway when it comes to building and optimising your business for it to become a repeat and most importantly, referral-based business is that 70% of us, 70% of businesses simply do not ask for feedback. They do not ask for what can we do better? What did you like best? The LBs and NTs in the moment are hardly asked and therefore you don't get that true reflection, that real open and honest feedback as to what is working and what is not working. In saying that, 
It is also important to understand, as was just shared, 83% of buying decisions are made on whether, you know, what people are saying about you and your business or your product. Admittedly, those people need to be representative of the, the target market that's looking for you. But what they say is so much more important than what you say about your business. So we've got to really, really, really work harder at optimizing and elevating our consciousness and our direct approach in helping, helping our current clientele and all their friends and all their network be introduced to your business. We really need to do that. And with that, I guess, you know, we created a white paper about a year ago, the team here at Business Benchmark Group, we created a, a white, pa- white paper that's been downloaded over 700 times and, and, and it's for free. So please feel free to go to the website, download your copy of how to build that referral business, how to ensure you know how to ask for a referral, how it is that you're positioning those referral providers and or close to you in your community, the people that actually care for you and how they give you referrals, educate them, help them understand what type of referrals exactly it is that you are looking for and how it is that they could keep on helping and supporting you as you will definitely, definitely keep on helping them. So I'm Stefan Kazakis, Business Benchmark Group, where we are consciously optimizing the empowering of business owners so that they are achieving continuous business and life success. For more information about Business Benchmark Group's coaching, education, and training programs, visit businessbenchmarkgroup.com.au or call 03-9001-0878. If you liked this podcast, please rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and leave feedback as well. Stefan shares so much value in all his podcasts and we encourage you to go through the archives and listen to other episodes of the Business Benchmark Group podcast. Thank you for listening.